Good evening. It is good to be here with you folks tonight. And I recognize a lot of faces, but there's a lot of new faces. And so that's a joy to be here and to get to meet so many new people. And I'm excited about how the Lord has orchestrated some changes here to bring together uh, many of you to try to reach the Roanoke Valley with the gospel. And so I'm excited about that. And I'd like to begin by thanking you folks for your faithful support. Um, of course, I grew up here, but Grace uh, Grace Baptist, and now New Grace, has supported us for over 21 years. I didn't know I was old enough to have been supported by anybody for 21 years, but you folks have been very faithful to us, and we appreciate your your generosity and your kindness, but especially we appreciate your prayers, uh, keeping up with our ministry, reading our updates, and uh, just uh, taking us before the throne uh, in your prayer time. Um, it's kind of interesting, too, I should introduce. I'll, for those of you that don't know, I'll have my family stand up. I'm blessed to have the three most beautiful women in the world in my family. So this is my wife, Debbie, and in the middle is my daughter, Elizabeth. She's 17, starting her senior year of high school. I'm not old enough to have a daughter that age. But then I have Olivia. She will soon be 13 there on the end. And so um, I'm blessed to have them here with me tonight. And I'll put him on the spot. I won't make him stand. But some of you that, that knew me since I was a kid will recognize Richard Phillips. He was my best friend growing up. And uh, he's standing there. <laughs> and um, if he gets up during church and starts snooping around the building, you know, he's probably up to no good like we used to as teenagers. I don't know. But uh, it's good to, to have him. He drove over from the other side of Virginia to, to visit with our family today. So it's good to have him here as well. And uh, we, again, thank you for your faithfulness to our family. I won't take the time to give the whole story of how things took place in our lives, but I will say that we were missionaries in Lima, Peru uh, for about 14 years. And while we were there, we were the Lord blessed in a mighty way. We were able to help start two churches. The first one was called Iglesia Bautista La Fe, which is Faith Baptist Church. And then we helped start a work called the Mission Bautista, which simply means the Baptist Mission. And uh, we were just blessed in tremendous ways to see lives change, to see people come to Christ, to see people baptized, to see people discipled, and and to see churches growing in that area. Lima is a huge city. The the greater metropolitan area has about 14 million people in one city, 15th largest city in the world, and yet uh, very few churches there. Now in the video, you will notice that we said soon there will be a thousand Baptist churches in in the city of Lima, which is true. They expect within 10 years that's possible. But when you consider 14 million people, uh, there's still a lot of need. The vast majority of Peruvians don't have a relationship with Christ. And so the the Lord allowed us to work there for those number of years. And we began to lay out a plan for what we wanted to do for the future. And we basically had planned to be there the rest of our lives. We we own an apartment. Notice I say own. We're trying to sell it. If anybody needs a vacation home. But uh, we're, we're getting close to selling that, by the way. But um, um, we had planned to be there our whole lives. Peru was like home to our family. And uh, about four years ago on Father's Day, things changed. And uh, Debbie almost died that night. She lost so much blood that they rushed her to the hospital in an ambulance. She was taken into the intensive care unit. She was there for five days. She was in the hospital for several days more, and um, I was told that first night after she got in there that she had a 30% chance of surviving the night, but yet God saw fit to sustain her life, and here she is today, and the doctors discovered that she had cirrhosis of the liver, and so obviously not caused by alcohol, the leading cause, not caused by hepatitis, the second leading cause, but by some other issues that were undetected for her whole life. 
And so to this day, Debbie's liver continues to deteriorate. That, of course, starts a spiral of other health issues that come along the way. And so ministry in Peru is not going to be very practical or possible. The doctors in Peru said the best thing you can do is go back to the States and get the help that you need. And so over the last number of years, we have seen that she has had it needed to go time and time again to the doctor, and, and the Lord just confirmed that we couldn't make it back to Peru. So as we were praying, the Lord led us to EBI, and I'd love to share that whole story with you sometime if you're interested, but God opened up a door of opportunity for us, and we're extremely excited about it. After praying for a year, after looking at all kinds of different ministry opportunities, the Lord gave us a clear uh, vision and a desire to be with EBI, and so we've been there for a couple of years now. And EBI is much more than a printing ministry. People say, oh, you do printing. I don't do any printing. I don't know how to use any of that equipment. I, do, I, I take that back. I know how to use one piece of equipment. It's my favorite. It's the paper cutter. It will, it will cut through 1,500 sheets of paper in one cut. And so sometimes when I've been in my office studying, working too hard, and my back started to hurt, and I need to take out my frustrations, I go down to the print shop and I ask Daryl, our printer, hey, do you have anything around here that needs to be cut? And he hands me these books that need to be trimmed, and I sit over there for a half an hour and trim books. It's just something about cutting through 1,500 sheets of paper at one time that helps take out your frustrations. But I don't do printing. Others have said, oh, you do translating. Well, we are fluent in Spanish, but EBI doesn't use English speakers to translate Spanish. We want our our quality to be there. And so by doing that, we have native speakers to translate. We will edit and read through these things. But I don't do translating. But what we do is we provide the materials that churches need to grow, that, that churches need to reach people, to reach the community their communities with the gospel, the life-changing message. We don't print substitutes for the Bible, but we print materials that lead people to the Bible and a more in-depth knowledge of God's Word. And so uh, we print all kinds of materials, just about anything you can imagine. So we have Sunday school material for all age groups. Uh, We have enough adult materials that you could go through nine years before you would repeat a lesson. We have enough children's materials for three years for every age group, for teenagers all the way down through little kids. Then we have discipleship materials, counseling materials, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, reference books, Bible books, theology books, anything that a pastor or a church would need to be able to effectively minister. And so we provide those things. We've set a lofty goal. EBI has been relatively small for a number of years, but we now have about 400 titles that we produce. And our goal in the coming years is to produce somewhere between 12 and 20 new titles a year. And so that's a big goal. That's a lot of work for a small staff that God is blessing. And um, we're looking forward to being able to accomplish that in the coming days. For example, just last week we had a book, an 1,100-page hard-covered book on systematic theology that's just been finished and uh, just going off the press. The first ones are being shipped out this week. We also just printed the month before a book on same-sex attraction. You think, well, why would you need a book like that? Well, just like here in the States, all over Latin America, that's a growing problem. Uh, Same-sex marriages, homosexuality, people are looking, say, what does the church, what does the Bible say about this? And so this book helps a church, helps a Christian to be able to know how to confront people with that sin problem, but yet in a loving way to bring them to Christ. And so how the church should respond to that. Um, Some of you have heard of Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. That book was written by his brother, Steve Ham. And uh, it was a a true story based on his son's life and how that came to the Ham family. 
And so that book is not even available in English. So that's going to be in the Spanish going out by the hundreds now all over Latin America. So these are the type of projects that we have as far as literature. But for me, perhaps the most exciting part is to be able to go and help with theological training. In the month of March, I was in Costa Rica, and there we had a conference to teach pastors and Sunday school teachers. We had people from 11 different churches that came to one site, and we were able to do a conference to help teach them, uh, help them to be instructed on how to be better communicators of God's Word. Uh, last month, I was in, uh, well, time's going fast. Yeah, it was last month. I was in Colombia. Uh, coming up next in September, I'll be in Chihuahua, Mexico at a conference, and then pray for us. Lord willing, our goal is to be going to Cuba this fall. You think of Cuba as being a closed country, a communist country. I was shocked to find out that there is a pastor's fellowship there with more than 1,000 Bible-teaching pastors on the island of Cuba. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of believers on that island, yet they don't have anything. They have zero materials. They have absolutely nothing. The poverty is so bad there. We received a letter in our office from a pastor that we have contact with, He wasn't asking for anything, but he said, pray for us because our family is now eating banana peels and grass out of the yard to survive. So it's a very, very difficult situation. And we are working with the Cuban government now to be able to ship in thousands, if not tens of thousands of books to help these pastors and to go down and then teach them how to be better communicators. So pray about that. There's a lot of obstacles, a lot of red tape. And with the tension starting up in Cuba again, that, of course, will create more difficulties for us. But those are some of the things we do. We also offer an online master's program for pastors that have studied in other places. This helps them to get an accredited degree degree, and then be able to teach their own people. You see, for about 75 years, North American missionaries went all over Central and South America, all over Latin America, and planted seeds and worked with people and established churches and established works. And now we're seeing the harvest of souls. Like you saw in the video, as many as 50 million believers in Latin America. Only God knows those numbers. But there are thousands, millions of people that uh, profess faith in Christ. And so now these people are coming to us and saying, help us to be better trained. Help us to reach our community. And so now as the North American missionary population begins to decline, we feel like God has strategically placed us with EBI to be able to go and to help these people reach their own people. Uh, We like to say help to teach them to reach them. And so God is opening up all kinds of doors, and we thank you for for your support in that ministry. And uh, again, sometime if you have questions, we'd love to talk to you about it. Now I want to ask you a question. I preached on a passage of Scripture here last time I was here. It was a couple of years ago, I believe. And I want to go back and look at that same passage of Scripture. So some of you, a few of you were here, I don't know, you probably won't remember. But I want to start off by asking you, raise your hand, how many of you like to take tests? Anyone? A one. You know what? And every time I ask this question, there's one person that raised their hand. Only one. So most of us do not like tests. When I was in Peru, one of the things I did was in the morning before I started my regular missionary work, I actually uh, taught high school missionary kids. I taught them Bible class at the, at the missionary kids' school. And I had this one boy, Joseph. He was kind of a cut-up, and most other teachers didn't like him. He was kind of a rowdy kid, but I, I really liked Joseph. And he was never prepared. He never did his homework like he should have, and he wasn't ready for tests. And he came in one day. I asked you if you'd like to take tests. Joseph didn't like tests. And he told me, he said, Mr. Poe, I wrote a poem for you. I don't know where he found it. But I I jotted it down here. It says, Now I lay me down to rest. I pray to pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, 
that's one less test I'll have to take. And so maybe that's how you're going to feel tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to offer us a test tonight. And before, before I give you this test, I want to, I want to make you a little bit nervous because I want to tell you that more than likely the majority of Christians in America would fail this test. Why is that? Well, we're going to see. The majority of Christians would fail this test. It's something that I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to make you raise your hand like a school. I'm not going to post your grade on the back wall. But tonight I'm going to ask us a few simple questions on this little pop quiz. And I want us to evaluate our own lives. Now, I want to, I want to tell you, this test is for individuals. It's not for the church. Because you know what? New Grace Baptist might pass this test. I think it could. Uh, because as a, as a whole... This church has a heritage now from two different groups that have come together. You have an outreach. You, you have ministry. You have things going on. So the church as a whole might pass this test. But tonight, this test is not for New Grace Baptist Church. This test is for each one of us. And I want us to think about these, these questions and these things as we go through this together. Uh, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Now here we're going to find one of my favorite Bible stories. And the reason why I love this Bible story is because it takes place in a desert. Now some of you that have heard our, about our ministry before will know that we used to minister in a desert. Lima, Peru uh, is the driest metropolitan city on earth. It gets about a tenth of an inch of rain a year. A year. Very, very dry place. And so uh, we used to like to picture, uh, like John chapter 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well... And what did he do? He offered her water because she was thirsty. And if we read the passage, we realize that he wasn't really offering her just physical water to drink. He was offering her spiritual water that would meet the needs, that would quench that thirst that she had in her life. And so we used to say that we are taking the water of life to the deserts of Peru, just like Christ did. And that water of life, we didn't dig wells there. We didn't offer bottles of water. But what we were offering was something to satisfy the souls of those people that were looking for something. And so this passage of scripture is neat to me. This story takes place in a desert. And I really like it because we see Philip here uh, taking the water of life to this person that's dying of spiritual thirst in the desert. Look at me with me at Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. And it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. We'll come back and read on a little bit further. But there's a couple interesting things here in this passage of Scripture. And the first question that's going to come now, are we ready for the test? The first question is, are we prepared soul winners? Are we prepared soul winners? Now, think about yourself for just a moment. Perhaps you're going to immediately think, sure, we're prepared soul winners. We have a track rack on both sides at the back. We have Pastor Sean. He's going out talking to people. Uh, we have other people in the church that go out and witness. We have some that go down to the rescue mission, perhaps. We have these people. And so, yes, we're prepared soldiers. But I'm not asking about the church. What about us as individuals? And let's notice a couple things about Philip here. First of all, Philip was accessible to God. Uh, if we go back a little bit earlier in the chapter, I think it's very interesting. Philip had a very vital ministry going on. He was successful in ministry with the Samaritan people. And so he could have been very content to say, you know what, God, I have an effective ministry here. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. And so I'm going to stay here. But you know what? Philip was always open. He made himself accessible to God. You know, the sad part for most of us in America today, we are far too busy to actually be accessible to God. 
I've actually thought about writing a book because when I was in Peru, one of the things I noticed, and ever since I've been in ministry, one of the things that I see is one of the biggest difficulties for those of us in ministry is busy work. There's all kinds of things that need to be done. They're, they're not bad things. Maybe it's uh, uh, you know cleaning the church. Maybe it's stamping tracks. Maybe it's uh, having meetings with people. All of those things are necessary, but we get so caught up in the busy things of life that we really are not available to God. We're not accessible to Him. I like to think of it almost like a steering wheel. Imagine if you would for a second that you're sitting in your car. The motor's not running, and you try to turn that steering wheel. If the car's just sitting perfectly still, how hard is it to turn the steering wheel? It's usually really hard because there's that friction there. The wheels don't want to turn. And so what happens, though, when we, when we start the car or the car just barely starts to roll down a hill? Have you noticed then the wheel is really easy to steer? Well, I like to think that's how our relationship with God is. Sometimes we get content to sit right where we're at. We're content to listen to Pastor Sean, and we think, well, he's the one. It's his ministry here. You know what? It's all of our ministry, and as we get active and we get to be moving forward for the Lord, what happens? Then God can direct us and lead us. Sometimes we might look and say, I don't know how I could be used in, the, in a church. Uh, this, this morning we spoke at a nearby church, and the pastor had written in the bulletin that he had calculated how many people in the church were attending and how many people were not plugged in. He used the term plugged in. How many people were not plugged in into some ministry actively in the church? And he said, I'm thankful for all of you that come here, but there's about 150 people in our church that are not plugged in. They're not participating in any way in the church ministries other than to come and sit and listen to the messages. And so all of us need to be moving forward. Maybe you're going to say, you know what? I could never be a Sunday school teacher. That's not for me. I could never preach. But you know what? As we get active for God, maybe you could say, you know what? I'll try teaching a Sunday school one week. And if you go and you find out, oh, boy, that was bad. Everybody says, you know, I don't think you have that gift. And maybe you continue on. Maybe you go work with the, with the children. I've heard some people around here don't like the children. Well, you go and you work with the kids, and then what happens? And you say, wow, I love this. As you get active for God, make yourself accessible to him. He will direct you. So Philip was accessible to God. Notice also that he was obedient to God. Uh, I might be simplifying this just a little bit, but I find it interesting that the angel of the Lord spoke to him told him to go towards the desert. And what did Philip do? He got up and he went. You know what most of us do? We have an opportunity to come our way. And don't get me wrong. But most of us, we say, you know what? I'm going to pray about that opportunity. You know what? If God gives us a clear direction, if God gives us a task to do, we don't have to pray about that. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. We should bathe every decision we make. We should bathe everything we do in prayer. But you know what? If God tells us to go out and reach the world with a gospel, that's not something we have to wonder about. That's what he wants us to do. And so Philip was obedient, and, and he immediately went out and did it. And I want you to remember God sent him to the desert. It wasn't like he said, hey, I want you to go to downtown and preach on that street corner. No, he sent him out in the desert where he probably didn't even expect to find anyone. But you know what? He had faith that the Lord would open up doors, and we're going to see that God did. Philip was obedient to God. And then I want you to notice that Philip was ready. We're going to see that he promptly went and took advantage of the opportunity that God brought his way. Now let's move on a little bit further in verse 27. Behold a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning... And sitting in his chariot to read Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet and said, Understandest thou 
what thou readest. And see, once again, we can see he was open to the Holy Spirit's leading. When the Spirit said, go near, what did he do? He ran up to the chariot. How many of us have opportunities that come our way? Maybe someone asks a spiritual question. Maybe we have a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member is going through a difficult time and God is orchestrating a time for us to talk to them and then often we kind of turn or run away from the opportunity. Philip ran to the chariot. Why? Because he saw an opportunity. Uh, the Holy Spirit led him there. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses that you already know by heart, probably. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that mean? Well, we better understand. We better know our Bibles. Why? Because when people come and they have questions, can we answer those questions? How do we know what we believe? Do we say, well, the pastor preaches that, so that's what I believe. That's what my mom and dad said, so that's what I believe. That's what my Sunday school teacher said. No, when it says rightly dividing, that means we should have studied this Bible enough to understand and know what it says and understand how it goes together. Understand how that thread of scarlet Christ is all through the scriptures. First uh, Peter 3.15, another familiar passage. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. You know, when we live for Christ, our neighbors, the people around us, our co-workers, they're going to notice that we're different. How do you have that joy during difficult times? How do you live with these situations? And then we will give an answer if we're ready. Philip was ready, and he was accessible to God. Some of you that have been here for a number of years have heard some of the accounts you've read in our prayer letters and so forth, some of the things we did in Peru. And uh, we had a young man in our church in Peru named Christopher. He was, he was actually the first person that came to Christ in our church in Vina Alta. A young man that was there, I will say the first time he came to church, he was absolutely terrible. This kid was a nightmare. You say you don't like kids. Boy, this kid, this, this young man made me never want to see a teenager again. We had our first youth meeting in Vina Alta, and I went. We were prepared. It was a Saturday afternoon. I went back, and Debbie, afterwards, we were there for several hours. We came home, and Debbie said, oh, she was excited to ask me, how did the youth meeting go? Our girls were a little bit smaller at that time, and I came in the door, and she says, you don't look very happy. Nobody came? I said, oh, they came all right. I hope I never see another teenager again. And what happened? I began to tell her these boys came, and it was their goal to try to annoy me, the missionary, I think. I think God placed them there just to give me gray hair. And so Christopher, he came to that first meeting and was just awful. The kids literally, literally threw chairs at each other. They have this thing in Peru called Bale Todo, which is kind of like mixed martial arts or cage fighting, you know, like you see these guys on TV. And I think they thought that the church was a cage for them to fight in. And they were like pounding on some of the little kids. We were literally trying to break up fights. And I said to Debbie, it's really hard to get little kids to come back to church when they go home bleeding at the end, you know. So this is rough. Well, I will tell you that those kids were rough, but we continued to pray, continued to work with them. And God gave us a vision to help teach them the difference between creation versus evolution. And so that's what we started to study on Saturday evenings with these young people. And I will tell you, when we first went there, the majority of the time was spent with games. It was the only way we could get them to come. But then we began to work with them and work with them more and more and more. And then we'd have the lesson at the end. And I'll never forget Christopher, this, ter- this kid that was so bad the first time. He came up to me one week and he said, Pastor John, is there any way we can play one less game tonight? Because I have a lot of questions about the lesson. Ooh, I want to say, praise the Lord. Yes, we can do it. Let's just forget all the games. And so I have a picture. It was not a stage picture. I love it. It's one of my favorite pictures we ever took in Peru. That room full of young people, mostly young men at that time. 
And every single one of them had their hand up. Why? Because they had questions about that lesson. And so God used those lessons on creation versus evolution. They were being taught one thing in school and they were hearing something else. Well, anyway, Christopher, you could tell I love the story talking about my kids in Peru. But uh, Christopher, he got saved. I'll never forget it. And he said to me very quickly, can you help me learn to tell other people like you told me? He said, my parents are Catholics. Everybody in my family is Catholic. And he said, if they were to die today, if there was an earthquake, my whole family would go to hell. He said, all of my uh, classmates claim to be Catholic. None of them go to church. He said, they would all go to hell. Help me. And so we began to work through things. And he was learning the Romans Road and learning some evangelistic methods to share his faith with other people. And he he went to school one day. He was very excited. He was playing with kids during a recess on the concha, which is like a soccer court. And Christopher told them, how many of you would like to know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And they said, well, how do you know that? He said, Pastor John... I got so nervous, I didn't know what to say next. He said, I know the answer, but I got nervous. He said, so I told them, come to church Saturday night if you want to find out how. (laughs) Well, you know what? Those kids came. And our church group went from about eight of those rowdy boys to about 25. And I can tell you, over the next year, year and a half, the vast majority of those young people made a profession of faith. They came to Christ. And they began to change, and their lives were transformed. And you know what was interesting? Their families started to come and ask us, we don't know what you're doing with our kids, but keep up the good work. We were invited by the local school. They said, the kids that come to your church on Saturday nights are different now than the other kids. Come to our school. And they invited us to come in as a church and, and speak to all the parents. Basically, it was like a PTA meeting. And they said, we want you to come and teach on biblical principles of raising your children. This was in a public school in a Catholic nation. And yet God opened that door. You know why? I think it was because I can give credit to Christopher, this young man who had a vision. He was ready. He wasn't necessarily real polished, but he was available to God very quickly in his young spiritual life. He was obedient to God, and then he was ready. And so what about us? Can we pass that first test question? Are we prepared soul winners? Could you lead someone to Christ if they came to you? Do you know the answers just because you've memorized it from being a child, or do you have that relationship with Christ? Can you? Are you a prepared soul winner? Now I'll move quickly. Number two, the second test question for you to answer is, are we searching for poor sinners? It's not enough just to be prepared. We are compelled, Scripture says, compel them to go out into the, or go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Are we out searching for poor sinners? Again, in verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Philip started to realize that this man was who God had sent him there for. I'm convinced of that. This is why the Spirit led him there. And he started to ask some important questions. Do you realize that there are people all around us that are searching for the truth? If you don't believe that, go to the closest bookstore. Was there a Barnes & Noble here in town? Uh, uh, Books a Million? Go to one of those stores and look at the rows and rows of self-help books. You know why those are there? Because America, the world, people are looking for answers to their life. They want to look for meaning in life. They want to look for truth. How come there's so many people that are caught up in drugs and alcohol? Why? Because they have a void in their life. They have something missing and they're trying to find happiness and satisfaction in something. They're trying it with alcohol or drugs. 
or other vices, other difficulties. Well, I'm here to tell you that, as you've heard it said before, all of us, the moment we're born, we have a God-shaped void in our life. There's something missing from our life, and that we know as Christians is a relationship. And so it's our responsibility to go and to be looking for people that have these questions, these people that need to know. I will tell you that I'm told that I'm, I'm 45 years old now, and I'm told that I'm old-fashioned, and I'm, I'm kind of out of touch with reality because, you see, I believe that there's still a place for going and knocking on doors. I still believe it's a place for us to go out and talk to our neighbors. I think it's great to build relationships with people. When I was in Peru, especially in Viña Alta, we started our ministry there by every month having a special event. We had concerts in the parks. We, had, we projected Christian videos on a huge screen in the, in the public area. We had medical campaigns. We did vacation Bible school. We did a whole host of activities. Why? Because we were out there searching for poor sinners. And I can tell you, if you go to a certain number of church growth conferences, they're going to tell you all kinds of ways to fill up a church and to make it grow. Maybe some of those things are good. I know some of them are not. Perhaps, Pastor Sean, if y'all were to blacken out all the windows in here and paint all the walls black, put in laser spotlights and all kinds of cool things, have a rock band up here playing, you know what, you could fill this church up. But you know the problem with that? Is it going to change anybody's lives? It's our responsibility not to just to get them to come in here. It's our responsibility to get them to know and to have a personal relationship with Christ, to see their lives transformed. And we do that by looking for poor sinners. If we're prepared to share with them, then we're going to be needing to look for them. Are we passing the test? Are we out there looking for poor sinners? Now I want to look at the third thing. By the way, I'm not thinking you should black out the windows. (laughs) All right, the third thing is, the third question is, are we using the power of Scripture? Are you using the power of Scripture? Verse 30 again. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near to the chariot. Philip ran up to it. Verse 31, he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he come and sit with him. Verse 32, and this is interesting. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I find it really interesting because there's power in the scriptures. You know what? When I went to Peru... Especially when we first got there, I was not a good communicator in Spanish. It takes a long time and a lot of work and many years to learn a language. And so there were times when I would be frustrated. I would say, man, I want to communicate with these people, but I could see it in their faces. It's just not clicking with them. You know what? I could have said, I can't do this. I remember when I was a teenager and felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry, and I thought, I can't do this. I can't stand in front of people. That scares me to death. And in this very pulpit, as a teenager, I can remember standing there, and I'm surprised it doesn't have notches in it where my knees were knocking, you know. I can't do this. Well, you know what? I can't do it in my own power, but we can rely on the power of God's Word, on the power of Scriptures to do that. And it's interesting because this passage of Scripture that we're reading here It comes from here in Acts chapter 8, but it was actually exactly, almost word for word, what we find in Isaiah 53. It's a prophetic passage of scripture that was written about 700 years before Christ was even born. 
But yet it tells us, it gives us a picture of Christ. And that's what I think I mentioned it earlier. There's like this thread of scarlet. There's this, this story of Christ that goes through the whole Bible, even though his name's not even mentioned in many places. It's talking about Christ. And so that's what Philip was able to do. He was able to go there and preach to him Christ. There's nothing that I can tell somebody. I can give them my experiences. I can tell them a neat story. Some of you know who my dad is. I can tell a really bad joke. But to be honest with you, uh, I can't give them anything, but God's word can. Are we relying on the power of scripture? I jotted down a couple of quotes here. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, W.A. Criswell, once the pastor of the largest church in America, he was asked what the secret to church growth was. And he said, preach the word, brothers, and God will give the increase. Some of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon, of course. And he said, I have no other secret than this. I have preached the gospel, not about the gospel, but I have preached the gospel, the full, free, glorious gospel of the living Christ. Preached Christ, brethren, always and everywhere. Preach Christ. And so are we doing that? Are we relying on the power of Scripture? What is Romans 10, 7, uh, Romans 10, 17? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lives are transformed when we preach. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, we're talked about, we hear about how the Bible is like a sword that's swift and powerful. In Isaiah 55, we hear that how God's word will not return unto me void. So folks, there's power in God's word. So we've had three test questions. I hope you're starting to think about yourself. I hope you're filling in the little dot whether you can answer yes or no. Are we prepared soul winners? Are we looking for poor sinners? Are we using the power of Scripture? If we are, if we got the first three, first three right, this last question is a freebie. And that is, are we seeing people saved? Because you see, if you're a prepared soul winner, if you're out looking for people, if you're relying on the power of Scripture, what's going to happen? The natural outflow of that, that natural outflow of obedience to God is that we're going to see people saved. Look at verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You see, obviously we know the baptism didn't save the Ethiopian eunuch. He came to Christ. He understood the gospel. He understood the relationship he needed with Christ, that he couldn't pay his own sin debt, but that Christ had done that for him. He understood it from what he had heard in Isaiah chapter 53. And then uh, what did he do? He wanted to be obedient to God and follow that decision with baptism. And so uh, we have no way to confirm this. I don't want to add to Scripture. I'm not claiming to that. So this is extra. I heard a preacher one time say, the further you get from the pulpit, that means it's more opinion. So I'm going to go way down here. This is not Scripture, but do you know that church history tells us, other documents outside of the Bible tell us that this Ethiopian eunuch went back. Remember, he had charge. He had authority with Candace the queen. He went back, and Candace wanted to know what had happened, what he understood, what he had learned about those scrolls that someone was reading to him. And what did he do? He explained to her what had happened to his life. He shared his faith with Candace the Queen. There again, this is extra biblical. This is history. 
and Candace came to Christ, and then it began to spread. And that when early missionaries went to that part of what was now Ethiopia, they found a church already established there by those believers that, that started with this one message that Philip shared with the Ethiopian eunuch. I don't know if that's true. It sure makes a great story. I hope it's true. But I can tell you this. There's plenty of other instances where we can see this model. When we are prepared, when we're out looking for people, when we rely on God's word and the power of scripture, not ourselves, we will see people saved. It's exciting for me to think about that. And the story goes on and we can hear a little bit more about what Philip was able to do. So what about us? Can you pass the test? The church might can pass the test. But what about us? And I will tell you, I am, I am thrilled. I'm pleased to see so many more people in here tonight. A lot of new faces. A lot of you I've never met before. And it's good to see new people. Two churches come together. You know, y'all really broke a rule. Churches are supposed to split, not come together. I've heard of this happening twice. That's only two times. But you know what? We can't be content with that. There's a, there's a good number of people here, especially on a Sunday night. But you realize it is vital for the future of this church that we all pass this test. You know what? There is wonderful facilities here. Acres of land. Big parking lots to fill up. Big gym to fill up with kids. Every kind of ministry opportunity right here on this hillside. But if we're not all passing this test, God's not going to be glorified and the church will continue to struggle. You know how I know that? I see it time and time again in all kinds of churches that we visit. You realize they say that the majority, 80% of churches in America are plateaued or stagnant or in decline. 80%. I forget the statistic, but it's like hundreds of churches, maybe thousands of churches a year are closing in this country. Why? I think it's because we've lost focus. We've lost our our mission. We've lost focus of what we're here for. And so I'm encouraged to see you folks here. But I want to ask you. Can you pass the test? If you can't, start learning. I'm sure Pastor Sean, others here would be happy to help teach you how to be a better witness, how to share your faith. Uh, Are you out there looking for opportunities? Start with something simple. Remember how I talked about a steering wheel? Maybe you say, I can't, I can't go out. I, you know, do y'all, some of y'all remember Bob Porter used to be here in the Roanoke Valley? He used to go and he would stand on street corners and preach. I'm telling you, that's brave. And maybe you think, I can never, I can't go out and do that. You know what? Maybe you can go out and hand out a track. Maybe you can invite somebody to church. Start off simple, and then the Lord will build your confidence. Go out and search for poor sinners. Help fill this church up for God's glory. Can you pass the test? I think we all can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.